0: Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Of me. But praise God, we're going to turn to the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 13. Just one verse tonight. Um, it may seem like a pretty obscure verse, but what I believe that the Lord is going to speak to us tonight is going to make us better for it, and we're going to get a revelation from the Lord. And it says, the beloved and his friends, return, return, O Shulamite. Come on, let's read it together. Let's start over. Amen. The daughters of Jerusalem said, return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return, that we may look upon you. What would you see in the Shulamite? As it were the dance of two camps. Praise God. Let's read that last verse again. What would you see in the Shulamite as it were the dance of two camps? Just for a few moments tonight, I'm going to be preaching on the subject, It Takes Two to Tango. Everybody say, It Takes Two to Tango. tango. One's all right, but it takes two to tango. Praise God. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I ask that you would anoint me to do what only you can do tonight. God, that the anointing would break every single yoke in this place. God, there are sicknesses, there are cancers. God, there are diseases that the enemy has diagnosed your people with. God, and has tried to discourage us and has tried to cause us to fear. But God, we know, Lord, that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would move mightily in this place. God, that you would meet every need. God, that you would break every chain. That you would open up the hearts of this young generation. God, to receive the word that you have given to me tonight. And God, I pray as I speak that I would not speak with my own wisdom, but I would speak as an oracle of Christ. And as I minister, let me minister not with the ability, which I have, but the ability which you have given to me, that through me the Son may be glorified, and I pray that you would bring to remembrance that which you have spoken to me in secret, and God will never fail to give you the praise and the glory, and in the mighty matchless name, Jesus and the church said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated tonight. Just for a few moments, I want to preach on the subject, It Takes Two to Tango. Our verse is found in uh, the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 13, and I want to just Give you a brief summary of the Song of Solomon because it's probably the hardest book of the Bible to understand because certain stages of life give clarity to it. When you find a wife and you marry her and you understand what godly love looks like, you can read it and understand it a little deeper. There are certain stages of your relationship with the Lord where you understand what he's talking about. But to give a brief summary of the Song of Solomon, it is about Solomon, King Solomon, and all of his glory, finding a Shulamite woman in the valley of Shunem, just some obscure place in the desert south of Nazareth where, where Jesus grew up. It was a poor group of people. But Solomon fell in love with this unlikely, unqualified girl. And this is a song that he is singing and conversing with uh, the Shulamite woman, and she is talking to her beloved, which is King Solomon. And what it is, it it is a type and shadow of the church's relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the bride-to-be. We are not yet married to Christ because the marriage supper of the Lamb has not happened yet. That is going to happen in the new city of Jerusalem. But currently, we can see God's relationship to the church he loves the church we are his we are his the most desired the most prized possession in the sight of the Lord so when you read the song of Solomon just a brief summary I want you to understand that when we speak of the beloved we are talking about Solomon but really it is a type and shadow of our love for Jesus Christ and his love towards an unlikely group of people being the church So we start off this verse. It is a conversation at the end of chapter six that we read from tonight. And it starts off with the daughters of Jerusalem saying, Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. And we read an accompanying psalm in Psalms chapter 45 that Solomon wrote to correspond with the Song of Solomon. And it talks about the Messiah and his bride and the glory of the bride and her, and, 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 and her husband. And it says in Psalms 45 verses 13 through 14 that the royal daughter, the bride-to-be, is all-glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. Again in Revelation 19:7 through 8 it describes John sees the church at the marriage supper of the lamb John doesn't see a beat-up church. John doesn't see a bride all scuffed up with military combat boots on, looking rough and ready. But he sees a bride, and it said, John saw the church, and the angel said, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Christ glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, to the church, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints." We see here imagery that describes the church from Christ's perspective in a beauty that cannot be compared with anything that you've ever seen on earth. And I know Hollywood tries to dress up things and to make you think that um, beauty is this kind of standard and how it always changes with time. But Christ sees the church arrayed with the sun, the Bible says, clothed with the moon. This amazing array of light in a robe of colors because it it, it displays the beauty of his people. The beauty of a close-knit relationship with the Lord. Because only true beauty is when a true beauty comes from a close relationship with the Lord. I know L'Oreal and, and Maybelline and, and Sephora try to get you to con, try to convince you that they make you beautiful and, and, and those short shorts will make you pretty and get, get attention uh, um, for your husband. And I know that you know, Nike puts out all this advertisement and convinces you that if you wear their stuff that you look cool and handsome and that you're desirable, but only true beauty comes from a close-knit relationship with the Lord. Amen. Because only a close-knit relationship with the Lord, living for that purpose, living with the desire to be close to the Lord, attracts the attention of of the king, of King Jesus. Just like that Shulamite bride. Amen. When you attract the king's attention, uh, the Bible says in Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 7, that Solomon, the beloved... King Jesus looks at this, this unlikely woman. This woman that the, the rest of the daughters of Jerusalem have, have casted off and are confused by. And, and, and Solomon looks at her and says, You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. And I am confident in telling you that 100% holiness is the way to attract the attention of the king. Amen. Holiness is the only way to get the king's attention. You are not going to get the king's attention by your church attendance. You are not going to get the king's attention by who you are related to. You are not going to get the king's attention by what you can bring to the table. But you will only, only get the king's attention when you are holiness unto the Lord. A spotless bride. Because only a spotless bride is the desire of the king. Amen. Jesus is not looking for a bride who has committed adultery. He is not looking for a bride who has cheated on him. He is not looking for an unfaithful faithful bride, but he is looking for a bride. He is looking for a group of young people who will not falter to the left or to the right, but will live a holy consecrated life because they are reserved for one person and one person only. Amen. Amen. Holiness is how I attract the king's eyes to my life. You have a way of attracting things to your life. Now, I'm not talking about the law of attraction because I don't believe in that. What I am talking about is what you decide to 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 do with your life, either attracts heaven or it attracts hell. If you decide one day that you're going to change your wardrobe and you're going to dress like you know uh, um, um, some unfilthy example of, of of what it looks like, or even an example, what what whatever you decide to 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 try to attract in your life, whatever, just for an example here. A Christian boy is not going to hook up and, and get married to a girl that, is, that, 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 that dresses inappropriately, that lives an unconsecrated life, that, 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 that smokes. This is just a rough example. Stay with me. That, 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 that is not living for Jesus because a Christian young man is not going to be attracted to something that is not the way that he is living. The same way with King Jesus. If we want to live a life that attracts the attention to the King, I venture to say, look at your music. I can absolutely tell you if the presence of God is present in your life based on the music you listen to, the friends you hang out with, what you say, how you talk, your thoughts, uh, and and the places that you go. Because those things in your life that you allow to, 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 create your personality and to create your identity is exactly what you are going to attract in return. Amen. The swine is going to attract swine but the children of God are going to attract the presence of God to a level that you cannot get unless you live a life that is consecrated because only then will God's eyes say, I see a spotless per." I see consecration. When God looks down from heaven to see who his, who his bride is, who's a part of his church, he's not looking in the clubs. He's not looking at those who are abs- addicted to pornography. He's not looking at those who are smoking pot. He's not looking at those who are backbiting and gossiping and jealous. God is looking for a people. His eyes catch a spotless garment of people who are willing to give something up to get his attention. Praise God. Is there anybody in this place who has ever said, God, I will give it up if I can get your eyes on me. God, I will give it up if it causes your presence, your goodness and your mercy to follow after me all the days of my life. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. God, when he looks down from heaven and he's looking, who is my bride? Who is ready? Who can I use? Who can I work on? He is not going to find you in a state where you are attracting hell. Amen. And for you young boys and girls who are starting to shop for a wife and to look around and to shop for a husband, and, to, and, and, and all of us should have the desire to find a good godly uh, um, wife or a husband, if you're living like the devil, you're going to attract the devil. Amen. 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 Come on. We're not looking for jokers and we're not looking for, 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 for Sally come often. We are looking for people who are looking at the same person I'm looking at. The Bible says that the daughters of Jerusalem were the ones who wanted the Shulamite to return. The daughters of Jerusalem. They had access. They had all the luxuries in the world. They had access to all of the ointments, the myrrh, the frankincense. They had access to the anointing, to the oil, the fragrance. All of the things that would have attracted a normal king to, 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 to bring them in as a concubine, to bring them into the palace, wasn't working on King Solomon. So what did they do? They found out that, 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 that some random shepherd girl in Shunem was attracting the attention of the king. So what did that cause them to do? They said, return, return. We want to look at you because there's something different about you. They had access to everything. They had access to the to the to to, to, to to the richest clothes, the nicest looking outfits. They could give, you know, the pedicures, the manicures, the facelifts, the, all, the, all of the lifts, the Botox injections, one, two, three times a week. But nothing was working to attract the king. So what did they do? They looked around and said. Where is Solomon going? Where is he going? And then all of a sudden they caught his attention and they, and, and they saw what he was looking at of a, just a little shepherd girl. But her beauty caught the attention of the king and what they wanted to know was, what is different about you? Return so we can look at you. Return so we can figure you out. Return so we can j- j- try to get uh, um, 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 just an idea about how you are doing this because nothing has worked for us. When you live that way, the world ought to be able to see a difference in your life. Sure. That's good, Caleb. You've attracted the attention of the king. But a byproduct of, attack, uh, of, of attracting the attention of the king is also attracting the attention of the world. In a bad or a good way, it does not matter. But the world's eyes will always be on the spotless church. And you're not too young to be disqualified from that. This generation is the church. This generation is a part of the church. This generation is not waiting for for, for 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 people to retire for you to step into their place and to sit on their seat on a Sunday. You are a part of the church. And when you attract the eyes of the king, the world is also wanting to look at you and figure you out. They want to see what's different about you, Jonah. Why are you different? Why do you have peace? Why do you have joy, Emerson? Why do you have contentment though you have nothing? Nothing, Katie. Why do, you have, why do you have peace when you're in the middle of the storm, Jonah? But the world wants to know. But we'll, first we have to attract the attention of the king and stop putting on a show and put on for the audience of one who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. But until we get his eyes on us, we will never garner the world's attention. We're not meant to sit in a bubble of the church and just to wait for the rapture at the bus stop. We're meant to get the attention of the world. How do we do that? By the life that we live. They noticed that the Shulamite bride, the Shulamite girl was living differently than them and it produced a different result in her life than what they've been doing. And when you do that, when you show that you can produce a result of satisfaction of the soul and and, and the world sees that alcohol can't do it, that homosexuality can't do it, that the LBGTQ movement can't do it and all of this other garbage that the world is trying to feed hungry people amen they are hungry people looking for an answer but until the bride rises up out of the shunammite desert and says i have attracted the attention of the king they will say return so i can look at you is the world looking at you because if they're not then you're a part of them if the world's not looking at you questioning cody saying cody how did you get that doctor position after all of those years, after all of those trials, after all of those setbacks? How are you even still here, let alone not on medication from all of the stress? Because it, his life produced, produced a different result than what they've been prescribed Amen. They've been prescribed something that is not bringing the result that they seek in their life. So they're looking at someone who has the result and the church is the one who have the desired results in their lives. Come on, is there anybody in here who's been to Calvary and has found the result to be satisfying? Has found the result to be cleansing? Has found the result to fix every issue that I've ever had in my life and is still continuing to do that? But until we get the attention of the king... Come on, does the world notice you? Does the world ever call you out and say, there's something different about that person? Because if they don't, then you're a part of them. Amen. Peter said in, 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 in his epistle, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own pe- peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Come on, we are a peculiar people. People look at us with with curiosity. What's going on there? Something's different. Something is different. Amen. And that should be the result. That should be what we're looking for. When my life attracts the attention of the king, the world will want to know what makes me different. Live in such a way that not only do you have the king's eyes on you, but because you've got the king's eyes on you and you're living a consecrated life, the world wants to know your secret. Amen. Amen. And it's interesting to me that the Shulamite would respond with, 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 with a very off-the-cuff, un, just, just, just hard-to-understand response. So she says, when they say, return to us, we want to see you again. You're so beautiful, we want to see you again to try to figure you out. What does she say? She says, what would you see in the Shulamite? As it were the dance of two camps. Now, <clears throat> she gives some very contextual evidence as to what she's talking about because the word that she uses for two camps there is the word Mahanaim. Everybody say Mahanaim. mahanaim. Come on, who's a, who's a natural Hebrew? Uh, who, who could speak Hebrew in here? Come on, we need to work on that. Come on, let's, let's, let's start reading this strong. I'm just totally kidding. But the word is Mahanaim that she uses for the word two camps. And Mahanaim is actually a place in the Bible The place originated in the book of Genesis, in the book of beginnings, in the 32nd chapter. The Bible says that Jacob walked to, he he was going back to his country after obeying the Lord. And, 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 And the Bible says that as he walked and as he went, the Bible says that the angels of the Lord showed up and God's camp was there. So Jacob named that place Mahanaim, meaning two camps. All right, are we tracking? So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp, and he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Why does God's camp show up? Well, the Bible says in four chapters previous, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everybody say Abraham, Abraham. Isaac, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are three generations. We're currently in the third generation with Jacob. and the 28th chapter, the Bible says that the Lord stood above Jacob and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all your families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So the question is, why does God's camp show up? There's randomly out of the blue in chapter 32 when Jacob starts going to fulfill his destiny. Why does God's camp show up? Because the, the transfer of generations does not disqualify the promise of God. What am I saying? I'm saying that the promise that, 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 That God has for Pastor Tom, for the church, for community as a whole is the same process, the the same promise for this generation. It's not going to go away. The promise is still intact in the transfer of generations. So God shows up just to fulfill His part. God shows up to let Jacob know, I did this for Abraham, I did this for your father Isaac, and I'm still here today. And there's going to come a day where the, where, where the generation before us is all gone. They're not, they're, they're, they're not going to be in, in, in ministry anymore. They're not going to be in your Sunday life. They're not going to be in your spiritual life. They're going to be gone, and it is going to be up to you to walk out the destiny that God has for the church. Amen. So that is why it's important for you to not wait when you're twenty. 20- Twenty-seven years old or to wait in your 30s to get on fire for the Lord but right now God is calling this generation to partner with God in fulfilling his kingdom purpose praise God don't let the devil tell you that the death of one generation is death to the other because while Abraham and Isaac both had the promise and they both passed on, Jacob's sitting there wondering, I, I've heard the stories of old, but all of a sudden we see God show up out of nowhere. How awesome is that? And say, Jacob, I want you to know that yes, I was with Abraham. Yes, I was with Isaac, but I'm gonna be with you because my promise has not expired. The same promise of an apostolic refreshing and a Pentecostal anointing is still intact for this generation. And I believe that we're gonna see it and I believe that that same whirlwind that hit uh, Sister Vicky's uh, youth group in the 70s at Barberville Pentecostal Youth Camp, they didn't go down there with any intention of getting touched by God, but by God, God showed up anyway and sent His Spirit over. Oh my gosh, I'm believing that, uh, yes, God can move tonight, but I know that in two weeks when, when we go down to Barberville, I'm believing that that same whirlwind, that same promise from the Father is going to hit the back, it's going to hit Each and every single one of you, and we're going to come back with a fresh fire, a fresh anointing, because we have been with the king. Praise God. Praise God. One camp was heaven, and the other camp was earth. So when Jacob names it Mahanaim, meaning two camps, he means heaven and earth. Amen. Everybody say heaven. Heaven. And everybody say earth. earth. Praise God. And then we see in Genesis chapter 32, after God shows up. Now I'm going to read this. Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 28. And it says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joints as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go for the day breaks. But he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So, so, so the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So we see Jacob meeting God's camp in the, in, in the desert of Mahanaim one moment. And then a few verses later, we see God wrestling with Jacob. When you wrestle with somebody... It's not as if I wrestled in middle school and I can promise you that there was never a point in time where I was in a competition and I shook my opponent's hand like this, Isaac, and I said, you let me know what you want to do to me and I'll just let you do it. I've never said that to someone and no one else is ever going to say that to me. Praise God. Because in wrestling, I don't care what he wants to do to me. I don't care what his purpose is. I don't care how. Stand up. I don't get push on me. He's pushing on me. I don't care if he's pushing on me. I don't care if he's grabbing me. My goal is to not let him have his way on me. So when God is wrestling with Jacob, we see Jacob not letting God do what he wants. We see Jacob fighting back and pushing back and saying, I know that you have an agenda here, God, but I also have an agenda here. I also have a motive. I have a will that is going against yours. And when, Jay, when we see Jacob and God wrestling, what we see is two wheels going against each other. And we see this continually throughout the Bible, for example, in Acts chapter 9, when Saul gets saved, or or when, when, when Jesus appears to Saul on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. It's hard to go in the opposite direction as me. Why do you keep fighting against me? Why are we working against God instead of with him? Come on, why is this generation seemingly too concerned about what their neighbor's doing and what their other friends are doing? And they're too concerned about the the latest trend and the latest garbage of social media. And they're too caught up in, in, in what's popular and cannot be popular. Why are we working against God? Why are we not working with him? We're wrestling God all the time because God has a, has a destiny for each and every single one of your lives. But we choose to sit on our calling. Samuel was called when he was just a little boy. So there's no one in this room who God has left out a destiny and a purpose and a calling on your life. But every time you disobey that calling, you are pushing against God. Because you say, I've still got to in this. Uh-uh, I've still got to say, God. And until you say, God, I am absolutely surrendering to you for the rest of your life, you are going to be pushing against your creator. You're going to be pushing against the person who died for you. You're going to be pushing against the person who, who, who shed blood and, and, and did the impossible so that you can partner with God. But if you keep sitting on your calling, it's disobedience. Why are you... Wrestling against God instead of working with Him because your will is still intact and you need to go to the cross. Genesis 32 26, and, the, and God said, Let me go for the day breaks, but Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the one thing that I understand from this verse is we see God putting the pressure on Jacob. God shows out of nowhere and starts wrestling with Jacob. It doesn't say God, Jacob ever initiated anything. And it says, and Jacob was was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Doesn't say who started it. Doesn't even matter at this point. But what we see is God putting the pressure on Jacob, and pressure will either make or break you. When the temptation comes, it will either produce in you the character of Christ or the character of hell. So whenever you see a moment of temptation, you better do exactly like James said. And count it all joy whenever you fall into various temptations and trials. Knowing that the the trying of your faith work is patience and patience perseverance. So whenever you see a moment like that, don't look at it as like, oh man, I'm defeated already. Look at it as an opportunity for the replication of the the nature of Christ to be produced in you. Amen. So we see God putting the pressure on him. When the pressure is on, will you let go of God? Amen. Jacob could have let go. Jacob could have said, I'm enough. You've busted my hip. I, can't, I, I don't see a way out. But all Jacob had to do was just hold on. Jacob knew that, yes, my will is still intact. But what the pressure did was it brought out the best in Jacob. It wasn't I, I I want to be a deceiver anymore. I want to I want to do it my own way. What, what what the pressure that God put on Jacob produced was a spirit that said, God, I'm never, I am not gonna let go of you. I'm not gonna stop pursuing you until you bless me. Is there any student in here who is willing to go after God in fasting and praying in your word, seeking his face every chance you get and saying, God, I will not stop pursuing after you until you move in my generation, until you turn impact into a revival center? Hallelujah. Is there anyone in here who's saying, God, I will not let you go until I see you pull your spirit out on impact on my generation Hallelujah. Glory to God. And then the Shulamite says, as it were the dance of two camps. So it went from wrestling to dancing. When wrestling, come here, Isaac. And when we're wrestling, we're working against each other. My will versus his will. Amen. Amen. But what we see the, the you're good. What we see the Shulamite girl saying is, when you look at me, you know what you see. You see the dance between two camps. You see the dance between heaven and earth. What is dancing? You are absolutely in rhythm with your partner. I'm no longer fighting against you. I no longer have an agenda. We are working together to do this dance. Amen. So when you go from wrestling and you're fighting against each other, and you let go and you surrender to God, because to partner with God requires surrender. Yes. To be in rhythm with God requires surrender. Yeah. Surrender will always be the cost of, of partnering with God. Yeah. But too many times we choose to dance with the devil because He gives us options. What happens is God requires us to surrender. We don't, we don't step into partnership with God and start telling him how to do things. I know some preachers want to convince you that you have the power to control God and to counsel God. When you step into this ring to tango with the Lord, you are saying, God, where am I stepping next? God, what am I doing next? Okay, okay. how did you do that? How did you do that again? Because I am following his lead. The Lord is never going to follow your lead. But what happens is the devil gives you options, and he makes it sound real good. Amen. Does this sound familiar? You, can, you can't drink wine. You, can, you can't touch dead things. You can't cut your hair, but you can have Delilah. The, Satan will always give you options. What did he do to Jesus in Luke chapter 4? He took Jesus up on the highest mountain. And in one moment of time, the Bible says that Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan gave Jesus the option, saying, if you bow down and worship me, all I am the God of this world. All of these kingdoms will be yours. That sounded a lot better than the cross, Brother Cody. But when you step in with the Lord and you say, God, get, align me with you. Let me walk in rhythm with heaven. Let me dance between heaven and earth. Let me be in rhythm between the two camps. You are following the Lord's lead. Because dancing with the devil, well, he'll never show you the knife that he has behind your back. And the pain and suffering and and years of of, of therapy and restoration that could have been prevented just by your surrender. And you might say, well, I'm too young. I don't got to worry about that. I don't got to worry about the devil's attacks. I I, I wish I could. I wish that was true. But it turns out that when when you go to pick a partner on who you want to partner life with, Satan has his options and you're going to hear him. Amen. The dance is a partnership between God and man, heaven and earth. And it takes practice. You may fall down a few times because because it totally requires trust and surrender. And you may fall down and get out of line again. But the Lord is always going to be there saying, let me show you it again. Let me show you that step again. If he curtsies, I'm going to curtsy again. It doesn't matter how many times I've fallen. The Lord is always going to be there to pick me up and to show me how to do it. And show me how how to match his moments and to match his movements and to be in sin with the Lord. Amen. How do we get in sync with heaven? Number one, prayer. Everybody say prayer. Prayer Prayer is not for the saints. And it's not for Monday night prayer meetings. Prayer is for every believer who wants to experience God. Prayer is for everybody who wants to make it through trial. Prayer is for everybody who, who, who wants to have a relationship with the Lord. Prayer should be an everyday part of a believer's life. James said, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain on the land for three years and six months. Amen. It doesn't matter how perfect Elijah was, all that matters was that he prayed. Amen. Right. How else do we get in sync with heaven? Fasting. Everybody say, Fasting. Fasting, fasting. fasting. is not for old people, fasting is not for the saints. Fasting is not for missionaries and pastors and and and, and, and people who, who, who want to do great things for the Lord. Fasting is for people who want to know the Lord. And if you want a close relationship with heaven and to be in sync and in line with heaven, you will fast. Because what does the Bible say? Isaiah said that God spoke and said, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and that to let the oppressed go free? Come on, does anybody, as a raise of hands, does anybody want to see their generation go free? From depression, from suicide, does anybody want to see the, uh, um, um, all of the people that are living in confusion, living in anxiety, living in, in, in addiction? Does anybody want to see them, them go free? Come on, you better get to pushing the plate back and saying, God, I'm not going to eat until I see my family free. I'm not going to eat until I see my my youth group on fire. Because fasting aligns you with heaven. Come on. How else do we get in sync with God's word? Well, first I have to know what God says. And I have to know his voice. And the way to do that is through God's word. And then lastly and most importantly, the best way to get in sync with heaven The very first thing to get to to, to be able to dance between the two camps is the cross. The cross of Calvary. What Jesus, the finished work that Christ performed on the cross, bridged the gap between the two camps. Amen. Come on, there was a gap between your nature and heaven. You were never allowed to to, to, to have a a, a close-knit relationship with the Lord. It was always going to be through a priest. It was always going to be through sacrifices. But what Jesus did on the cross was saying, I have chosen this people. I have chosen the human race to partner with me and my Father in my kingdom business. All you have to do is... align yourself to the cross, the perpendicular cross that reaches from earth's camp all the way to heaven's camp and bridges. It is the connective tissue between the two. So if you ever want to get in sync with heaven, go back to Calvary. Go back to the cross and hop on it for yourself because the only way to stay in sync between heaven and earth, the only way to stay in connection between you and God is to live a crucified life. Praise God. Praise God. But it's because of Jesus and his sacrifice that it's possible to dance in the two camps. To be in rhythm with heaven, to be aligned with God, to have a relationship with the Father. Come on, those, the, the, those daughters of Jerusalem didn't have a relationship with the king. They didn't have a, any knowledge of him. They were exhausting themselves trying to impress him, but nothing was getting through. Oh, But they saw that shoot of my bride, glory to God, and all of her beauty and consecration drew the attention of the king. But what she did was she said, I want you to know what's different about me and what's different about this generation. Because I speak this in the name of Jesus. That this generation is going to be different than any other. That this generation is going to rise up because they have chosen to partner with God. They're not going to wrestle against God. But Jesus Christ has made it possible for every student in here to be in line with the Father. To be in line with heaven. Glory to God. That there is no more striving. All we have to do is stop fighting against Him. Come on, there's a stigma of perfection that is not biblical. God uses imperfect people. He uses earthen vessels. So the excuse to be aligned to heaven is not going to be, oh, I messed up too many times. Look at Jacob. Jacob's name meant deceiver. But as soon as he said, all right, I'm done wrestling, and I'm going to surrender to, to, to your will, what you want for my life, God said, all right, you're no longer a deceiver, but I'm going to name you a prince yeah. of God. So I don't care what your name is when you came in here. When you go to the cross of Calvary, the Bible says that Jesus has nailed it to the cross. Everything that was contrary to us, he nailed it to the cross. So you can name depression, anxiety. You can name addiction. You can name whatever you struggle with and whatever made you stumble in the past. Because it is not an excuse to wrestle against God. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym, and remember, you can have as much of God as you want.